On this week's full-time roundup, Premier League is back with a bang. Barca leave it late as they digest the resignation of their gaffer, or might I say, intranador. The parody continues in AFCON slash Asian Cup. We recap a quiet January transfer window, and we predict the best games this weekend. Full-time roundup starts right now. Welcome this week to Full-Time Roundup. We have a special guest, a recurring guest now, I can say, you and Reynard. Is it Reynard? Yeah, 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 Reynard, spot on that. I should have probably asked and clarified that beforehand, but who cares? <laughs> Ewan, it is 55 degrees right now at 5 o'clock on a Thursday. Beautiful weather outside. How's, how's England right now? Oh, well, I mean, I'm going to be giving you a different type of temperature, aren't I? Because there's the whole uh, Celsius Fahrenheit thing we've got to navigate. But um, seven seven degrees Celsius, which is 44. I'm converting it right now. Uh, yeah, yeah. 44. Yeah, that's not okay. too bad, actually, to say that I'm five hours ahead. Um, yeah, I don't know why I've got this fleece on right now. This is T-shirt weather to say to say it's February in, uh, in the UK. But yeah. Buzzing to be here, mate. Um, like you say, recurring guest, and yeah, every time it's a pleasure. So excited to get into this with you. Yep, Ewan is filling in this week as Matt had a conflict, but that doesn't stop us here at Full Time Roundup. And let's go ahead and dive right in. EPL is back, like I said in the intro. Um, honestly. You know, this might be biased just coming off the game that just took place. But, I mean, for some midweek football, this was one of the most entertaining slates from start to finish that I've seen in, in a while. And we'll go ahead and start it off with probably the most important one. You and this is the only game I wish Matt could be here to discuss with as we are going <laughs> to discuss Liverpool versus Chelsea right now. He was still so angry that he didn't even comment on the match today as i asked him but liverpool absolutely embarrassed chelsea at anfield um you dm'd me uh during the match and said why don't why did like just don't even show up if you're gonna show up like that as a chelsea standpoint you know you got you got some of the most wild displays of all time nunez hitting the post slash crossbar four times but somehow still getting an assist You've got the 20-year-old Northern Ireland, Connor Bradley, putting in a vintage display with a goal and two assists, replacing Trent Alexander-Arnold. And then you have the billionaire rec team that is Chelsea right now. Do you know what rec team is, or do I have to... No, I, I, I get the reference. I am just just know that enough about American culture to get that. If you go any further, <laughs> I might be lost, but I get what you mean by that. <laughs> okay, cool. Ewan, what did we watch when it in terms of the chelsea side what was that yeah you mentioned that i uh messaged you during the game just <laughs> referencing how how much of a non-performance it was um and and i think that the issue is with chelsea the way that they set up you're looking for some kind of purpose from a team set up in a game like that like you're not going to get harder games than playing liverpool at anfield so you want to have some purpose in what they're doing. You understand if they're going to be a bit more reserved, they're going to be defensive, do whatever, it, you know, this and that. But it was hard to find purpose out of what they were doing, especially out of possession. Um, I don't think it was very well thought through. One of the issues that they have 
um, is that they go with um, they go without a recognised striker, and on paper, I suppose you get that because you know they're, they're bringing in more midfielders, they're bringing in players who maybe are more effective um, in in transition in that way. But the problem is, is that out of possession, what it did it, was it brought Conor Gallagher really high up into the press, which is one of the worst things I feel like they can do <laughs> because once you bring him high up into it in terms of first line stuff and you have him next to Cole Palmer, you're losing a bit of intensity out of your midfield, which I don't think you get um, from the athletic profiles of, of Enzo and, and Caicedo. So you're already losing there. And think about this game, how much of it, when it was competitive before it got into the you know the high scores, how much of it did you recognise it was spent camped in Chelsea's half slash own third? A lot of it, a lot of it. Now I will yeah. caveat this with the fact that there is some personnel, you know, in Cuckoo off the bench. Uh, Nico Jackson was at Afcon, and they just shipped off Armando Broja today to Fulham, yeah. but. With that, why wouldn't he put up a classic number nine instead of the false nine that Cole Palmer is playing? That is an interesting question. Yeah. I, I, speaking of our messages, I, I told said before the game that this is a game we would have started Brozier in just to have a recognized number nine who can get you out of jail with a bit of hold-up play and is a little bit better athletically profiled to uh, to do frontline stuff than, than, than Cole Palmer would be. I feel like by setting up the way they do, you make... Conor Gallagher less effective out of possession, which is his bread and butter. And you also make Cole Palmer a little bit effect, uh, less effective in possession, which is, at the moment he's probably their best player and most effective player outlet in terms of scoring. Combine that with the fact that Raheem Sterling in a game where you're not going to have the ball is ostensibly pretty useless. And I just don't, <laughs> I, just, I struggle to find much purpose in the way that they set up. So, like I say, it, it, I ask you how, how much of that game was spent when it was competitive in Chelsea's own third, in Chelsea's own half. That wasn't as much by design of, of parking the bus or anything like that, even though they did play really defensive. They wanted to get out in transition and get a little bit higher when they had the opportunities. If anyone watches this game back, look at how eager they are to get up in transition and be up the field when they do have those opportunities. They ended up having to play this way because their out-of-possession structure and what they were intending to do was incredibly muddled and their plan of what I could piece together of what seemed like their plan didn't work at all. And a team like Liverpool, if you have any kind of weakness like that, is going to expose it in the worst way. And that's exactly what they did. Yep. And you mentioned, you know, exposing one team, Liverpool sit five points ahead of City, but City played Burnley this week. And, you know, a little rematch between Pep and Vincent Company, an ex-player of his, um, I, you know, you gave me gun to my head. What would happen? I would have probably told you by at least three they'd win by. It'd probably be ugly, but not too ugly, just out of respect for company. But, you know, City, it was always inevitable. But you can't, as I always say, you can't beat yourself. And that second goal that City scored off that quick free kick was just, some of the in the encapsulation of Burnley season, I feel like they they actually didn't play that bad. Maybe, maybe I'm being nice here, but they just gave up really soft goals and ended up being a, a pretty high score line here. But uh, I feel like it was a you know Holland's back now. KDB got 70 minutes under his belt, so City are definitely trending in the right direction. 
yeah, I, I would maybe be, I feel like I'd be less harsh about the second goal than, than you would be. I do think it's still pretty clever free kick routine. And, you know, if you pin everyone high on one side of the box and you get the ball quickly into that space, it's a little bit both sides. It's, it's a little bit lazy on Burnley's part, but it's also a, a fun routine. I almost wondered if using a, a free kick routine like that in a game like Burnley at home was almost a little bit of a waste, a game that you would probably win anyway. I see your point, but also Julian Alvarez just scored, you know, five minutes before that. So how are you going to leave out of all people you want to leave open to, to do that routine? He's probably one that I'd want to mark the most. So I still think it's, you know, I still think it's a bit, a bit of a lapse of concentration, I guess you could say, but at the end of the day, this, this result wasn't inevitable. So we don't, I feel like we don't really have to talk too much about it. Um, but to move on to to third, um, Arsenal, big back on track result against Forest. Matt Turner not covering himself in glory here with that first goal, but Arsenal always looked like they were going to win this game. They they left it a little bit late due to their ongoing discussion about them not having a good a good enough number nine, but. Did you have any points in this match or was it kind of this was always inevitable, kind of like the City match? Yeah, fa fairly inevitable. I think Forest is a, a little bit different because Forest are a little bit of a better side and they were also playing at home. Um, I think the main point with this is that Arsenal kind of continue to be whatever the, the, the viewer would want them to be, which is you can either say they're an incredibly impotent side given the standard that they used to be at and they don't create chances anywhere near the way that they used to. Or you can look at them and say, this is a side that's become much more reserved to sacrifice that and now doesn't surrender really anything in the terms of, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, defensive lapses or, or giving cheap opportunities up to opposition. They're, and we're at the stage now, where, you know, we're into February. That's probably who they are. There's not going to be this great awakening, um, offensively um there's not going to be this this lapse defensively that's waiting over the over the hill they are who they are and it's just up to <laughs> it's up to the fan to just determine whether they think that means they can take contend for the title or whether that means they're going to fall a fair bit off the pace so yeah yeah i, I shook my head because there's no way i think they compete for the title at this point but i i did want to pose a question to you i was in my apartment on the treadmill and I usually talk to this guy who kind of comes in at the same time as me and he's an Arsenal fan. And I mean, I, I think this was a rash statement by him, but he was like, if they don't you know, get any silverware with all the money spent, Arteta maybe should find himself on the hot seat. I don't agree with that, but I'd wonder how you feel about that. Uh, that's, that's pretty ridiculous. I think. <laughs> okay okay that's what i, I thought I, yeah i think you're right i think you're right having your uh feeling the way you feel about that um he did yeah. they did I, spend a lot of money though they did spend a lot of money they went and got jesus and Sinchenko from from city and they haven't exactly panned out but they've yeah. also had to deal with injuries and and this and that so the midfield is a bit light yeah, they had they had an effective well that that they spent that money um obviously in the summer that's now about eighteen months ago, and overall you have to say that that was kind of a success. It's it's more the money that's been spent now. Basically, I say the money spent now. It's the Havertz thing, that that basically covers everything. The fact that they were insistent on bringing him in for the money that they did, 
and the fact that to some people it's working to other people it isn't that again it kind of encapsulates their team in entirety in in its entirety at the moment Havertz like you say you don't think they can um compete for the title I think they'll be closer than you probably do I, I don't think you're a Havertz guy I am you know we just fall on different sides of this and um yeah it's gonna it's gonna be the uh it's gonna be the thing that defines their season it could end up defining Arteta players like him who are profiled so well out of possession so we're in a bit of wait and see at the moment but I, I do think we know who Arsenal are at this stage yep um so next a really fun a really fun game which was Brentford Spurs they they kind of duke it out um, and it finishes a 3-2 thriller, one of many thrillers in this, you know, slate of Premier League games. A vintage Maupai scoring and doing the little dart celebration. I love that. And then Brennan Johnson scoring and then mocking it. Um, at the end, a little bit of banter between the teams at, at you know, after the whistle here. But Spurs needed this result. This was, uh, I feel like, a big game because... Brentford with Tony are a much different side than without Tony. And so I wouldn't say this was a coin flip match, but it's, I mean, I feel like Arsenal showed their teeth here and they were able to get the, the job done. Uh, yeah, this game is, is a, it's a funny one. You see, you watch Spurs play and I don't know if you have the same takeaway, but I just think you give this two or three more transfer windows. Eventually this thing could, is going to pop in a big way, at least in terms of attacking wise. I look particularly at their wingers. I think that Brennan Johnson was probably an ill-advised signing. I think that's almost a case of someone making a double jump rather than just making the small jump that he probably needed to. Um, going to Spurs rather than maybe going in and in between a move and then making that move. It's like where? Like a Newcastle? Uh, I was probably thinking like West Ham. West Ham? That kind okay, of bracket. That's fair. Yeah, get into that kind of middle bracket. I understand that that's almost it's almost wishful thinking because if a team like that comes in for you, not only are Nottingham Forest maybe not going to be or to sell, but I also think Brendan Johnson is also like I'd probably stay and, and wait for that bigger move, and maybe that would have been the best for him another year with uh, with Forest. Um, but I think about him. I think about Kulishevsky, who is good but isn't perfect. I think about Timo Werner, who I like a lot but is is not ideal for the wing position, but you can already see that how much they get out of him just by the fact that it's structured so well that he's able to get in good positions so often that when you eventually get some top talent in those positions, they're going to pop. But for now, you get games like we had against Brentford where the talent level is not so high and they sacrifice a lot of cheap stuff. You look yeah. at Brentford, even before their first goal, they were quite lucky with a call that obviously they get the lines out and he's technically offside, but it was really, really close. That came from a cheap uh, giveaway in uh, in early build up, so they are right to continue with the way that they're playing because eventually you will bring in better players. The players playing in it at the moment will be used to playing it, and either they become your depth or they're sold on for higher fees based off the back of this. They're absolutely right to stick with this. I don't really entertain the conversation that they should adjust much, but there's going to be growing pains as they go with this. They just have to bear with it and. Brentford, again, it's another example of, you know, they've not got a good result. They're having a tough season, a tougher season compared to the previous two they've had in the Premier League. But I still just, I, I still palm off any major worries about them. I just think they're too coached, uh, too well coached. And now with Tony being in there, if he stays fit, I, I just think they'll keep a decent distance from the relegation zone the rest of the way. I, I have to agree with you on that one. And kind of going off the back of that, 
um, we got a, a little bit of a surprising result here. Uh, Villa, you know, at home, kind of get thumped by Newcastle. And if you look at the past matches between these two, it's so variable. It's like one team kills the other, then the opposite. They kind of take turns just beating the shit out of each other, honestly. Um, and I was thinking that this would be kind of more of an even match. Um, and one one team kind of forgot to turn up. And I actually thought how outcoached Emery here. And I was kind of surprised by that because I, I rate Emery highly, more highly than I do how. Um, but, uh, you know, Newcastle seem like they're turning back in the right direction. And, and how steadied that ship after a little bit of controversy and bad things being said about him early in the season when, you know, they were really, really struggling. Yeah, I, I'm. I, with this game, I almost want to play both sides of the coin a little bit with it because on one hand, you have a game that's blown open by the fact that Newcastle take a two-goal lead and you look at those two goals. The first one's a set-piece goal, which is fairly fortunate in the way it falls to Shah. And then the second one is 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 very fortunate with the way that it falls to Shah. Um, <laughs> with, it, with it coming off the crossbar the way it did and, and falling nicely for him um, with a player there on the floor by the touchline, um, keeping him on side. Um, I'm not sure if he would have been on side with the other players in line, but that definitely made him on side. Um, so with that, there's a little bit of, you know, uh, that's that's just football. That's football happening. You're going to not get the rub of the green every now and then. But also to play the other side of it, they are the first team to play the Aston Villa high line in a really smart way that they did. Because Aston Villa's, their high line has been a, a, a massive talking point so far this season. They are putting up a record number of offsides since that was tracked it's 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 trending to be the most offside them and liverpool right like liverpool were like the known kings of this high line yeah Yeah, exactly exactly but liverpool doing it with with better athletes this villa team is just basing it off of like we don't have the best athletes but we're going to be really smart about doing it because we understand the triggers of the other team and newcastle played that against them they had these dummy runners that they were using to try and trigger that because obviously you stand up there in your high line but eventually you don't just stand there still you have to track back at some point to chase into the space and they would get those guys running a second or two seconds before they wanted to and it was all with the benefit of anthony gordon who who got in i think twice maybe three times off the back of this those dummy runners would go and those fake those feints would happen for the pass and then gordon would go in a completely other direction and be kept on side and got two i think really good chances out of it uh, just off those dummy runs to trigger that uh, the, to trigger the uh the, the high line out of position so like i say two goals which were fairly fortunate but at the same time that's about as smart as i think a team has played that high line so far this season and what's really interesting is now that that's out there the blueprint the, exactly exactly it's the blueprint uh, exactly. of how you can play this and now this is where football gets fun because teams will try that what's emery going to do in response to it this is the this is the sicko stuff isn't it this, this is, is the, the sock, uh... <laughs> this is the football sicko stuff. And you know, you, you love I love when you know a guy checks and then the winger kind of makes that diagonal run kind of between the, the outside back and the center back. That's one of the most effective um you know runs that you can make, especially kind of getting in on goal at a good angle. But I couldn't agree more. And we'll see how these two teams bounce back if you know Newcastle can can kind of put you know a couple results together here and if Villa have kind of cooled off a little bit. They still sit, you know, top five in the Prem, so they're still doing pretty well. Um, But I feel like their form has cooled off the last month or so, especially since the new year. Um, But to kind of rotate over, 
Um, probably the game of the week here so far. United barely beat Wolves. I was on this dock, you know, making the the outline and had to change it a few times. I I, I did think Wolves would give them a would give them a good shot here at the Molyneux, but Newcastle or United started arguably their best lineup they've had in in months, and they go up to. Hoyland finds the back of the net. He's starting to make that more of a habit, which is good. Um, and, you know, it finishes 4-3. Spurs come all – or, sorry, Wolves come all the way back. And then Kobe Mainu, you know, steals the show at the end, the 18-year-old with his maiden Premier League goal with a really well-taken finish here. Um, I'm, I'm pretty high on Mainu. I, I've, I've seen you tweet out about, you know, there might be a ceiling there with his athleticism, but – you know, Ten Hag was sweating on that sideline because I think he has a pretty short leash at this rate, but they get it done. And they actually showed some character, which is a step in the right direction because I feel like for a long time, this United team was spineless. Yeah, yeah. Like you say with my new, he's really impressive. I, <laughs> I would want to make the point that he is going to be a really good player for a long time. I just think that we're in this stage now where, and it's kind of similar with with Connor Bradley, even though he's not played as much football as as Mainu, I don't think. Where That's we don't we don't really know how good this can get. We you know it's like, is this guy going to be this? Is this guy going to be that? And I'm almost you know looking at it, thinking, okay, but what could go wrong? And with Mainu, you see a player who's a little bit shorter than ideally ideally you'd like in the uh, at the position. So when I've seen playing transitional games and maybe lose out a little bit because he doesn't have that up tier athleticism. But he's still a great player, and obviously that that goal to win the game was incredible. And maybe the blueprint is for him to play further up the field, even though he's played a lot of that deeper lying stuff for Man United. I, I watched him play in preseason, and that was basically where he played most of his football, and was impressive doing it. But there's a difference between preseason football and and league football, obviously. Um, yeah, with 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 Ten Hag generally, I have made a pretty large uh, large switch on him in, in maybe the last six weeks. I was really defensive of him generally. And in the last sort of six weeks from middle of December onwards, I'm leaning more and more towards that this new regime that they have should maybe move on from him rather than giving him a chance uh, to begin with. Um, and, and to be honest, tonight didn't really fill me with much more confidence that it was going to get any better, even though it ended well. Um, same goes for the draw at home with Spurs that they had a little while ago, which is on paper like an okay result. But you watch the game and it's like, oh my god, the discrepancy between these two teams and what their purpose is 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 so so large. So they're going to be an interesting watch. Wolves, I'm really low on. I think they already have enough points to stay up so far this season, but I'm not impressed with them at all. And and Man United made made a pig's ear out of beating them. So I a think pig's ear is that a good translation? That is a Britishism. <laughs> I was actually just, thinking about making a whole list of all the ones I hear and then having you like just translate for me what this means. But I love I a quick summation one. of that. What is that? A pig's ear. Oh, pigs. Oh, just uh, making like making life difficult for yourself, I suppose. Ah, okay. Yeah. Kind of like it, shoot, shooting your own foot. Yeah. Well, yeah. If, if something should be fairly simple and you make it, you, you make it harder than it should be. Um, oh, it's like a, what is it? Something out of a, a mole out of a something house. So there's there's another phrase for this, isn't there? Um, that might <laughs> Not... that might be that mean that might be another British one as well. But yeah, yeah. make it make it a job that should be fairly easy, fairly difficult, which I think is a good way to describe Man United getting three points from Molyneux tonight. <laughs> no, absolutely, and you know these are two managers, like you said in the last pod, you you aren't that high on on Gary O'Neill. So two two managers that 
we we both don't really aren't convincing. I think I'm more convinced on Gary O'Neill than than Ten Hag at this rate. But you know, at least United bounced back. And then you know, on the other side of this, Palace were able to mount a comeback against Sheffield here. Um, I was kind of calling for for Palace to kind of part ways with with good old Roy, and uh, they went down in this match. Diaz again. With a with another goal from you know on loan, he's he's been a revelation since he he joined up. And then I think it was McAtee, the the city tra- uh, city loanee, who scored another goal. Um, but at the end of the day, the point I made is: look, if you get Eze and Olise on the field together, good things will come. And that's what happened today. I think Eze had two goals, Olise had one, and and. I think Elise had a couple assists as well. And then he goes down injured, which is just a sad state that he's finding himself in constantly as he puts gym performances and then can't stay healthy. And I mean, I think clubs will still look and poach as a in, in Elise, but Elise needs to put a couple games together to, to kind of prove, prove himself that he can be sustainable um, on the pitch. Yeah. You think of palace in a, in a big picture sense and, their issue is almost what you've hinted at there, that you can't really speak about Elise or speak about Eze in complimentary terms without the next thing that you're going to say being in reference to them getting a move, because that's kind of who Crystal Palace have penciled themselves in as at this stage. Um, and that goes back to the Roy conversation, who is you know had a great career as a football manager and done a lot of great things. But in terms of a long-term strategy, you probably need to get something in there where when you get to the contract table, which I know Elise has recently signed an extension, but when you're thinking long-term project, are you going to get someone in who is going to push up against the, uh, the, the the big six and what's become the big eight and now kind of the big nine that's pushing down back on you in order to keep those players? Palace would probably say in response to that, that might not actually be their plan. They're pretty happy with the churn that they have of making profit on these players. And then that ends up getting into a modern co- uh, modern football conversation, which is why you see that banner in the away end at the uh, at the Emirates a couple of weeks ago. So we could go on about this for a, a, ages and ages in time that we don't have, but that's kind of the situation Palace find themselves in. And hopefully for now, they can just enjoy watching their fun players do a lot of fun things. And much like Brentford, I think they've just got a little bit too much to get seriously worried about relegation. Yeah, and they, they do have a, a fairly good spine, I will say, but obviously, you know, they're, they're probably their headache is just having Eze and Elise on the pitch together. Um, because you know, I could see them kind of making a run here towards the mid table a little bit more and securing themselves a mid table if they can just keep those guys healthy. Um, and then we have a, a pretty shocking result. This is probably the most shocking of the entire week. Uh, Luton just absolutely humble Brighton, and you could say, you know, from the literal kickoff. They humbled Brighton because they scored within a minute of the game. You know, Zerbi with with all these jobs opening has has gotten a lot of plaudits for. Okay, he's going to make the the move, but when you see these weird results like Luton crushing you, uh, I don't know. Do you think this was kind of a fluke game where you you throw the you bury the tape and you just don't really watch it, or is this kind of a more concerning result here? Yeah, I would say I would say it's almost the opposite of of burn the tape. This is this is Deserby's problem. This is, I think we 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 spoke a little bit about this, but not in great depth about Deserby. But he he's got a real issue that he needs to sort out in terms of his coaching model, because this 
a similar game happened last season when Brighton had all of the players that they'd sold in, in, in the summer. When they played Everton at home, when Everton were fighting relegation, Brighton were in those European spots trying to secure a place. And I think Everton won that game, I think, was it maybe 4-0 or 5-1? They won it by a lot of goals and they were 3-0 up after about 30 minutes. A similar, you know, blitz start that they had. And the problem that he has is that if you play against a team with good athletic, with with big athletic players who don't want to press your front line and then will get onto your second phase of build-up aggressively in a man-to-man pressing way, they don't really have an answer off the back of this. They don't have much of a plan B. And also they've prioritised technicality so much that when they get into a physical battle like that, they can get bullied. They're a team that can get bullied badly. And guess what? If you if you bring that to a team like, let's just use Liverpool, for example, because that job's opening up. If you bring that to Liverpool, you won't get as badly bullied because you've got some better athletes in there with Curtis Jones and Sobersly, etc. But your game plan is still going to be incredibly flawed in terms of how you get the ball up the pitch. That's the main issue. And like I say, this came up already last season. It's coming up again now. I'm surprised it doesn't come up more. Teams seem to be set on doing what they do rather than swallowing their pride a little bit, especially the teams who aren't right up there at the top, swallowing their pride and and saying, let's just do exactly what they don't want us to do. Maybe we'll see more of that. But yeah, this is like a a very concerning thing for Deserve. I think that this is something that you focus on and you say, we've really got to get this sorted for both this team and for Deserve if he wants to keep climbing the ladder, so to speak, as a head coach. Yeah, and this, like you kind of said, and we we prefaced beforehand this was kind of a blueprint game um to beat brighton here um but on the other hand shout out luton i mean no one gave them even a slight chance of staying up and they've made their home stand impenetrable they're now out of the relegation zone um by in the 17th here so it's sheffield burnley everton and then luton yet forest right above you um and forest are struggling so there there might be a scenario where luton stay up i still i still would think everton could get it together to to fight this relegation fight they you know they're absolute veterans at getting out of the relegation scrap last second but this might be the year that that doesn't happen but credit credit to credits due you know if you can make if you can win at home or make you know get results at home that's really what matters in the prim and you know, if you want to be a great team, you got to win both away at home, obviously. But if you want to just survive, you just got to make your home a fortress and then try to nick one or two games away. So yep. credit, credit, credit is where credits due here with Luton beating Brighton. Did not expect that one, but I do. I did like what you said about the Zerbi, and you know, sometimes people are so obsessed with playing their way, that especially the tiki taka type beautiful football that me and you both love to watch. But sometimes you just got to, as an English term, get it launched. Just fucking put your foot through the ball and then run onto it. You know, you have Welbeck up there. Let him hold up the play and let Jao Pedro play off of it. You you know, I I just don't really understand that aspect. Like, just adapt a little bit to who you're playing, especially at Luton. But, I mean, that's just me here. Uh, And then our last... Just to to go off the back of that, the game that basically decided the title last season, Man City versus Arsenal at the Etihad, where Manchester City won 4-1, that game was won off the back of Pep deciding to go long against Arsenal's press because they were giving Haaland so much space. So no, you should never be too proud to adjust against what the other team is giving you in in in, in a big way. So that's just an example of that. So I, I thought that was relevant to what you were saying there. That's 
excellent recall. I, I could not do that. So shout out to you. You've recalled two matches from last season that I would never remember. And then the last <laughs> result, not really much to, to get from this game. Bournemouth tie West Ham at home. Um, you know, I would I would expected someone to get a winner here, but it just never really came. Both teams didn't really seem that interested, honestly, in getting the winner. They were pretty satisfied with getting a point here. So not much to discuss about that, but I feel like that's a fair result for for both teams, um, kind of where they are. To kind of go to La Liga, um, Barcelona, you know, after digesting the news of Xavi kind of stepping down um, at the end of the season, they're able to kind of get a scrappy win here. Um, and who else but Vitor Roque? Um, you know, Ferran Torres went down fairly early, and, and Xavi threw on for me and Lopez, and I was just kind of yelling at my TV, why not give Victor Roque a shot here? And, and he's gotten limited minutes, and you signed him, and he was on fire in Brazil. Give the kid a shot. Um, and he gets a shot, and then he scores immediately. So that's what you love to see from you know young talents, especially on the biggest stage in the world, arguably one of the biggest clubs in the world. So I'm, I'm happy with that, but don't have, you know, they this is kind of the DNA for Barcelona right now, just winning every game pretty scrappy. At one at some point, this won't be the case anymore, but this is kind of the state of affairs for Barcelona right now. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned there about giving him a chance uh, in the team. We had a conversation the last time I was on about my team, Juventus, and what they should do moving forward. And I kind of preached the idea, if you have this really good young crop, you're in financial troubles, back the young crop, get a manager in who's going to coach them well and, and get them to play the type of football that will get the best out of them even if in a more morbid way you think like the best that's get the best out of them in terms of turning profits on them which you, you hate to say but is the reality of football that was the direction i was preaching feel similar for barcelona feel similar and, and their financial troubles are much worse than juventus is it feels like why would you not with all these young players that you have headlined by pedri and gavi um just go with those guys and, and 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 just keep your hands in your pockets financially and let this young crop that you've come up with, guys like that who have come through La Messiah or been pinched from other academies and then other players like you mentioned there who you've got from, from South America and just let those guys headline it and maybe you won't win La Liga, but you'll have a lot of fun and your fans will enjoy it and you'll be able to get your finances in order, which is the main pressing issue that they have. Um, you mentioned there as well about Xavi. Uh, he, he's, he's kind of the opposite side of the spectrum of Klopp leaving where one of them brings out a ceremonious reaction and now it's <laughs> all about, you know, trying to win as many trophies as possible in his last season. Xavi on the opposite side, it's almost like you feel like you're trudging through the mud to get to the end of this season, which uh, almost feels a little bit unfair because he did win La Liga, but overall it's not been a great experience. Um, just to speak a little bit about him as a head coach, I think one of the things that you'll be graded on just in a really simple way as a head coach is who are your best players and are you getting the best out of them? And Ilkay Gundogan has been turned into like a Scott McTominay-esque workhorse at times in this team. And that in a nutshell, I think, reflects pretty badly on him. You can tell Gundogan is is, is frustrated by his role as well. And I don't blame him. He, he's been reduced to just a small amount of the player that he was at Man City. And that was not that long ago. That was only last season. So, and he was that, one of the best midfielders in the entire Premier League last season. I mean, he single-handedly at times when KDB was out was was carrying that City team. So I like I like what you said, but I think not to not to interrupt you, but I think the downfall here with what has happened is 
Sergio Busquets, right? You did not really address that. You tried to bring in for cheap Oriol Romeo. He has been completely dreadful this season. And you have a gaping hole in midfield at the pivot, and you're wanting Frankie de Jong and Goodwin to kind of help in that buildup. And both those players aren't really natural sixes as well. They're more eights, in my opinion. So I think the the biggest signing that needs to be made by Barcelona is is that number six position because I think that will help you know Frankie and Gundogan kind of get to play you know their playmaking roles, but at the same time he has given so many youngsters just La Masia youngsters a chance, not really Victor Roque, and he just did come in in January, so he probably wanted to make sure that he was ready before. So, you know, if you start out bad as a striker, then it's sometimes hard for your mental, especially at a young age, to kind of bounce back. But I thought I thought that was a pretty good summation of uh, Barca. On the other hand, you know, Atletico Madrid, they stay alive versus Rio, kind of a scrappy game, a classic Simeone fixture. You know, all you need to do to get the pie rolling was threaten Moise Keane to come in, and he starts banging in goals week in, week out. So that's good to see from him. Um not much to say about this match, so so we'll move on. But they keep, you know, coming up the table, and it's going to be an interesting race for for the top four. And then Madrid, which we've spoke at nauseum about last on the last pod, we 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 kind of did together. Um, they kind of cruised past Hatafe. Nothing really much to say about this one either, other than you know, another game, another easy, fairly easy finish, and it. Uh, Hatafe could have made it a little bit more interesting at the end. They just could not convert their chances. But you know, Rudiger injured, so that's another injury for for Madrid that could be an interesting eye on the title race. Um, but yeah, that's really that's really it for me. Yeah, like you say, it's just it's a lot of business as usual, isn't it? Just yeah, ticking, tick, things ticking over. Real Madrid winning games, not at a canter, but just you know doing enough to to get over the line. So. Yeah, it's almost La Liga as a whole in terms of what we've just been given is a lot of, you know, we'll see you again next game week. You know, I've changed there. (laughs) Absolutely. And I'm sure that I was actually watching their attacking structure and that probably for a tactical perspective drives people mad. Just I don't know how they do it, but they continue just to turn out results and there's just no positional player. It's just kind of free flowing. Just get someone the ball and then let some magic happen with some last minute darting runs it, it seems um the move to Serie A, uh roma make it two in a row for de rossi uh, they seem to be kind of back here um so good to see that roma's kind of you know gaining steam again we'll see if this new manager bounce continues to to roll people now have tape on de rossi and how they set up so maybe we'll see if he can be a little bit uh flexible tactically and see if teams will set up to make it a little bit difficult for for roma to, to to break down. Um, and then we have AFCON. So, you know, probably the most, the tournament with the most parody I think I've ever witnessed. Um, Cape Verde beat Maritania. Ivory Coast beat Senegal shockingly in pens. I did not expect that. I mean, I knew it was going to be a good game, but I thought Senegal, the ex winners, would, would kind of show their experience here and kind of see it out. But it, it was uh, it was at least fun to watch some pens. It's been a while, it feels like, since I've watched a penalty shootout. Uh, Mali beats Burkina Faso. And then South Africa, shock Morocco. Probably the biggest result of 
of the the whole tournament maybe not the whole tournament but of the knockout so far i really expected morocco to to get it done ashraf hakimi misses the penalty off the crossbar to kind of tie it up to go into extra time and then south africa um kind of you know get a late goal but hey you know south africa might be back i haven't really heard much of them since the world cup in 20 2010 2010 which that's like as a kid that's probably the first one i remember um i was i was 10 years old but with the jubilani and and all that classic (laughs) stuff um stephen pinar especially but we do have an interesting um we do have an interesting uh quarterfinals here molly versus ivory coast let's who do you think is going to win that um get some predictions going (laughs) yeah it's funny um because you almost feel like Ivory Coast, you can't bet against them. It feels like their luck's in. They got three points in a group that they progressed through, and now they've won a penalty shootout. And it feels like it's all falling their way at their African Cup of Nations. So I, I, you just got to ride the hot hand with this one. Tournament football's very strange, and I'm just going to ride the hot hand with that and probably just put that in as a 2-1 win. Okay, wait, for Ivory Coast? Yeah, yeah, Ivory or, Coast. Okay, sorry. okay, I just want to make sure. And then, all right, so I'm going to agree with you. I think Ivory Coast get the job done uh especially after they beat senegal I mean, that's it could be a, a big letdown game after that big victory or they can keep it rolling so it really depends on how how their coach and i i believe they're the manager who they they sacked their manager without even knowing that they made it through so <laughs> yeah. that should be an interesting development to, to keep your eye on cape verde play south africa actually i'm gonna go and back south africa in this match against cape verde but do not count out cape verde no no, exactly, exactly. I'm going to go with you as well on this one. Um, obviously, <laughs> we don't want to agree on everything, but I, I, I agree on that as well. I'll probably put that in as probably a 2-0. And then maybe the the biggest debate one is is Conga, DR Congo versus Guinea. Who do you think is going to win this one? Yeah, this one probably is <laughs> a bit more controversial out of all of them. Um, this will probably be the most, I mean, it's hard to predict in tournament football again, but this will probably be the most interesting of the quarterfinals in terms of a close game. Probably won't work out that way now I've said it, but I do expect it to be quite close. But I will back Guinea in this one, I think, just from I'm, what I've seen. Interesting. I'm going to flip, I'm going to flip it on. I'm, I'm going to pick Congo just so we don't have a, a clean okay. all the way through. I was hoping you'd pick Congo because <laughs> uh, I, I do like Guinea in this match, but I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. back, I'm going to back Congo. Um, no, fair enough. Then, fair enough. Fair enough. And and then last but not <laughs> you, least, you go first on this one, so that if if we have the same one again, I'll flip it. <laughs> okay. Well, Nigeria is obviously, I think, gonna kind of do their thing against Angola. Um, Nigeria, with the defensive frailties that they had, I thought they wouldn't get far in the tournament, and they kind of completely proved me wrong. So I'm gonna back Nigeria to kind of keep rolling here. Uh, that fits perfectly um, because I'm going to go with Angola. <laughs> I was going to go with them anyway because I feel like in tournaments, I, all my other three were pretty chalk, and it's never going to be the case in a tournament, international tournament. That is that all four of a quarterfinal will go chalk. There'll always be something which is going to throw in there. Like take the World Cup for example, Morocco um, beating Portugal. There's always one that goes in there, and just from looking at these two sides and seeing a side that's fairly solid in what they do with Angola. Versus a side like Nigeria, where if you were to look at one of the fa- the teams that is is well favoured, but also you can pick some questions with them, they're probably that side. So yeah, I'm happy to go with Angola and, and and have this as the upset pick. 
Well, you heard it here, folks. Feel free to yell at me and you and um, if we get all of these wrong. Now to go to the Asian Cup. Japan beat Bahrain. Um, Iran beat Syria in penalties, uh, but Taremi did get sent off. So that's a big development for the quarterfinals. Um, Uzbekistan beats Thailand, who's been a nice surprise this tournament. And South Korea barely edge versus Saudi Arabia in penalties. So the quarterfinals, um, quick fire. Iran versus Japan, probably the best you know match that there will be. But a Taremi list, Iran is really going to, I feel like, make this an easy pick and i'm gonna i'm gonna go with uh japan here yeah again that that won't be i, I won't be putting my shot pick on uh on iran here um yeah i think it's pretty chalk in this game and i think they do probably win pretty comfortably japan so yeah i'll go with them here all right qatar versus uzbekistan who you back in here um it, it almost as a side prediction this is this will be like my goes to penalties prediction <laughs> i think okay. I, I think i think this is a game that probably ends this i i say this because i think the game could be quite boring <laughs> but <laughs> it, it could end up going to penalties at nil nil and you get an extra time where you watch two teams um just try not to concede i know that doesn't fit in with what's happened so far for these teams exactly but i, I just see a bit of a stalemate match up here of, of weaknesses on weaknesses and strengths on strengths um so yeah put me down as a as, as penalties for this one and then i get and from there i'll have to pick a winner so um let's hear it I'll, I'll go i'll go qatar on pens i'll go qatar the host of the tournament i'm gonna back uzbekistan's hot hand here i think they, they continue to turn out and a good story um tajakistan versus jordan i'm gonna go out and just say i think jordan wins this pretty comfortably yeah again that's you're on the right side of this one i, I think they'll be pretty comfortable in this game um so yeah this this is we're, we're putting little sides on our predictions here. This is the game which might be a switch off after 60 minutes one based off the score line. Yep. And then Australia versus South Korea, arguably probably the best game. I take that back on Iran, Japan. I think this will be the best game. Australia have been sneaky good. So I'm going to back. This is a tough one. South Korea hasn't completely convinced me yet, but if they can just rely on, you know, a pretty fairly good roster, but I'm going to go with the upside. I'm going to pick Australia. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I'm going to go with South Korea based in a big way off the fact that a lot of Australian people that I that I follow and, and keep up with, some for football, some for cricket. There's another Britishism. <laughs> but I know what that ones... is. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> but all the ones that I follow, regardless of what it's for, are obviously all invested in this tournament to a certain extent and all seem to be pretty unhappy <laughs> with what's going on with their team. They seem to each have complaints. So as much as I have my own thoughts on the team, I'm not as bought into it as they are. I have my own thoughts that I'm not overly impressed by them, but I think it just based off that, I would probably give them the nod here. But I'm going to go with those guys. I'm going to put my faith in those who know it better, and uh, hopefully it works out well for me in the predictions. The soccer ruse. Okay, there we go. All <laughs> right, so we're going to take a quick break. Before the break, you know, please follow us um, on Twitter at Full Time Roundup. Uh, like, subscribe, download, you know, give us a rating so it helps us spread our brand. Follow Ewan. Uh, can you give your handle? Sorry, I forgot to put that. Yeah, no worries. No worries. Um, what is my handle? Is it Ewan underscore R or is it Ewan R underscore? It's underscore Ewan R. Underscore Ewan R. Yep. There we go. And then uh, mine is 
at Liverpool CLTFC. After the break, we're going to go through the transfers and have maybe a segment if we have time and then a prediction show at the end. We will be right back. Welcome back. Now I know Ewan's handle, which is good. So that's my fault on being a, a horrible host here. Um, but we do. It's worse, it's worse that I couldn't remember what it was myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was a lapse of concentration, kind of like Burnley between both of us here. Um, but we do. We had a, a very quiet, quiet January transfer, and I thought that was interesting. Usually, it's really just the prem tripling, quadrupling, um, the spending, everyone else. But with these new FFP kind of restrictions that have been, I think. Clubs are pretty scared to, to sell. And I think we're finally seeing that, you know, this over expenditure and um, leveraging your future for the now is kind of starting to catch up with clubs. So it's good as a finance guy to kind of see that people are actually controlling their spending. But there were some still interesting, interesting transfers. I wouldn't say expensive transfers, but interesting nonetheless. So one I wanted to highlight was, you know, Marcos Leonardo from Sao Paulo from, to Benfica. He's already scored three goals uh, since his move to Benfica. Um, but, yeah, I've already mentioned that, so we can move on. Angelino uh, actually got a loan to Roma, and he's wearing the number 69, which I would love to ask him why he decided to wear the number 69. Uh, just thought I a little bit there. he's always worn it, hasn't he? Has he? I, I missed that. If so, but I, I'd like—I'd love to hear the reasoning for that. I just thought that was—that was fairly funny, especially <laughs> on Twitter. Um, Rakitic wearing the jersey now, uh, the Sevilla jersey. Um, he went to El Shabab, um, so he's now gone from Sevilla. Uh, Bowie, thirty-one million right back to Bayern from Galatasaray. Lucas Beraldo, twenty-one million dollar center back from Sao Paulo. Uh, he's he's gotten some game time since since coming over. Um, I'd say probably the best one that I've seen, Arthur Vermeeren um, from um, Antwerp to Atletico Madrid uh, for 19 million, 18 year old Belgian. That's probably the best one I've seen. But how about you? Have you have you seen any other ones that have really kept your, you know, perked up your interest? Um, no, like you say, it's been uh, everyone's kind of kept their hands in the pockets, haven't they? Um, I think the the theme of this transfer window is these reclamation project loans that we're seeing. That that seems to be almost the flavor of the January transfer window now. Just teams who have spent maybe ill-advisedly in the past now trying to find ways to, to get those players to new destinations and, and see what they can do. I think the main two are uh, obviously Sancho and, and, and Calvin Phillips. Uh, Jane Sancho going back to Brushy Dortmund and Calvin Phillips. Uh, going on loan to West Ham uh, and, and made his uh, made his full debut for them against Bournemouth tonight. Going to be interesting to see how those two do and just if this is a theme that continues um, for uh, for these big money signings. If uh, if you know we see them come back again in the summer window, whether this is just kind of the fate of those these January loans that we see. Um, but yeah, going to be interesting to see how they do. I think you brought this up um, not too long ago on the pod, but Ian Matson playing for Borussia Dortmund, getting football again. That's going to be an interesting one. He's someone who Pochettino identified as someone who should play further up the field, it seemed, which I was very much against. So I'm hoping that Borussia Dortmund can can give him the minutes required um, in the position which he's thrived in already. And then you get into a situation where in the summer he could go anywhere. 
So, yeah, that'll be the interesting one for me, just to watch a good football player do good things. And then, obviously, the way it leads into the summer, just seeing what he'll do from there. So, yeah, a generally quiet January transfer window, but I don't really mind it. Keeps the focus on the actual football, which is uh, which is always a plus. Absolutely. Uh, just to name a few more, Zaragoza, left winger from Granada, made his move to Bayern, 13 million, 22 years old. Um, he's got that almost messy stature, how he kind of weaves with the ball. He's very short as well. That's kind of my comp for him. Uh, a poor man's messy, I guess you could say. Um, and then, you know, Leon, who are struggling right now, did some buying. Fofana, 18 million from, from Ghent, 18 years old. Uh, and then Gift Orban, 12 million from, from Ghent as well to Leon. So you got some attackers there. Also signed Nemanja Matic. Um, see here another one that i was pretty infatuated with that i haven't seen him play but i just from the comps i've heard santiago castro 19 year old vela starfield player to bologna for 12 mil i think this was a sensible sign just because they're probably knowing that they'll move on from Syracuse in the summer for a big money move so they're kind of already lining that up with that in mind so we'll see if he gets you know some game time or they'll kind of protect him and and let him kind of get integrated in the squad first um daniel munoz the colombian right back went to crystal palace crystal palace also signed uh a center mid um are you familiar with with that player from the championship i believe adam wharton adam wharton do you do you rate him yeah oh yeah he, he's he's very good i i think that's um that's a good move for him as well like we mentioned earlier with crystal palace the way that they do give those players a chance and you know, rather cynically sell them on for those for those profits rather than trying to build around them. Um, they're a club. The benefit of that is that you can sign players like these because you put the examples in front of them of these are the players we've developed and we haven't really stood in their way at all, apart from Wilfred Zaha, which is its own situation, in terms of letting them develop and, and move on. So, yeah, a sensible, a, a really, really sensible signing. And he's going to be really fun for them because he's a really fun player. Absolutely. One that kind of stood out as well as far as Umbagna, a uh, 23-year-old Cameroonian um, from Bodo Glint, went to Marseille for 8.2 mil. He scored 15 goals and five assists for Bodo. So that's a pretty sensible signing for, for Marseille as they let uh, Oliveira move to Genoa. Um, got some Americans on the move. Johnny Cardoso um, from Independiente, 6.2 mil uh, to Betis, 22 years old. He, I think he really wants to make an impact for the national team. So moving to a top five league was a, a big priority for him. And he's actually kind of slit a uh, slot right in to that, that Betis team. Gio Reyna also got loaned to Forest. We'll see if that's going to be a good move or not. I'm not really sure, but any playing time is good playing time for Reyna. So hopefully um, Santos decides to play him. And then Thiago Jallo, 3.7 million to from Lille to Juve, 23-year-old Portuguese player. I've heard a lot of good things about him, but haven't really gotten to watch him. Have, have you? No, I haven't watched a ton of him and also someone who probably won't play a ton. Just feels like a... You don't think so? No, I think I think he's probably a depth piece who uh, you could put on a nice wage and he gets to play for a club like Juventus, which for a lot of players is not as attractive as it used to be. <laughs> but for someone like him, it's probably still a very attractive proposal. So, yeah, I, I don't suspect we'll see a ton of football from him. Also, based off the fact that that centre-back position has some decent young players there for Juventus at the moment. So a combination of those two probably won't play much. But, yeah, decent depth signing. 
to piggyback off him, Juventus also signed for the loan with an option to buy with for Carlos Alcaraz. I was actually really impressed with him uh, last season at kind of the end of Southampton, um, and he's kind of moved in. I feel like he could bring a little bit of spark to creativity that Juventus is maybe missing in that midfield. Do you feel the same, or do you think he'll be another depth piece? Um, I agree with you that he was quite a fun watch towards the end of last season. I think the further up you get him up the field, from what I've seen of him, and I'm no specialist on him, the further up you get him up the field, the, the better his performances are. Better his performances are. That area of the field for Juventus is very specialised because Allegri obviously dedicates a lot of players to doing the defensive side of the game, that you're almost left with two players who are fully dedicated forward line players. And that, at full strength, is probably Vlahovic playing with Chiesa just off him a little bit. So I wonder if we're going to get to see him much at his best position. And I wonder if by the time the summer comes around with a player who will have been on loan for a decent amount of games with a big fee that would be there if they want to pay it, we'll leave a lot of people saying why would they do this based off uh, him maybe not playing a ton of football and when he does playing at a position or in positions which don't suit his game mostly. So I'm, I'm you can probably tell I'm a little bit skeptical about this signing, but it's not because I don't like the player. I think the player uh, is fun, but I, I don't quite like the match in the same way that I probably wouldn't like the match of a lot of fun players when it comes to Juventus as currently instructed. That's an excellent point. I feel like forty million is a is an expensive dollar sign for for a player of that stature. But at the same time, this is probably a, a you know a long term look, especially with Allegri maybe his yeah. future in doubt. If they get more of a attack minded you know coach in, then he might flourish in that position. So it'll be an interesting thing to keep your eye on. Yeah, similar with Jallo as well. That that you can put that under there. I think he's only twenty three. So uh, yeah, you can maybe put them into similar brackets, even though the money discrepancy is 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 large there. If we do pay that full fee for Alcaraz, gotcha. And then just to recap, the Donker uh, went to Napoli and uh, on loan. Um, uh, Elif Elmas went to you know Leipzig from Napoli to kind of like for like there. Um, Guedes went to Villarreal. Dragusin and Werner kind of joined up uh, at Tottenham. Dahoud went to Stuttgart after struggling to kind of get PT at, at Brighton here. That could be an interesting one for Stuttgart. Um, Dyer went to Bayern, just to recap. And then kind of the last one that I've heard a lot of good things is Baldazzani, uh to Roma from Empoli, 20 years old, Italian, 10 million. Got a song clause. Apparently he's the, one of the highest – um, you know, ceilings of an Italian player at this moment at, at a pretty ripe age. Um, so it'll be interesting to see kind of how De Rossi uses him and if they can get the best out of him. 10 million is not a bad price though, to pay, but I obviously kind of scratch my head why Impley are going to kind of doing this at this point when they're probably fighting for survival. Um, and now we have our prediction show. Um, not too many games because we already did AFCON and, and Asia Cup, but we'll do it nonetheless. Um, to start out, Liverpool, another London side, Liverpool versus Arsenal. Um, I'm going to obviously back Liverpool in this game, but it is at the Emirates, I believe, so that could skew this match a little bit, but I'm still going to back them. I'm going to say it's a 2-1 win. Yeah, I, I obviously these two teams played not that long ago. 
Um, well, not that long ago, <laughs> considering the cup, but even you know, if you extend that on the league game that they played against each other, um, as well, uh, was, was played just uh, around Christmas time. So these two teams are pretty familiar with each other. First game was a draw, second game with uh, Liverpool playing a little bit of a weaker side, they won, still won. But- yeah, yeah, won won the game, but with a fairly fairly even, could have gone either way. Ultimately, they prevailed, um, and, and I'm finding it hard to deviate too much from this game being a draw. Um, I think I don't know, maybe Arsenal playing at home could give them the edge, but I just see Liverpool having a nice tactical advantage over them with the way the two teams set up. So put me down for a draw, but I'll make it a little bit more exciting. I'll, I'll go for a two-two. Okay, hopefully you're wrong on that one as Liverpool kind of <laughs> try to storm their way to the title. Um, to Spain, we have Girona versus Real Sociedad, two top five teams or top six teams right now. Um, this will be an interesting one to break down. Still no Kubo, but Real Sociedad just keep getting the job done. Is, is Girona going to struggle here or are they going to prevail? Um, I, doubling up here, I, this will probably be a draw as well, I feel like. Um... Because I I don't want to poop the party too much for uh, for Girona, but I do like Sociedad and the way that they set up. Um, but I will give them kind of the benefit of the doubt and 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 give them at least a point in this game. Um, yeah, this this again, I've got a draw in this one, uh, one all. And this, if you do, is it a difficult time with it being on? Uh, well, it should be okay maybe for depending on time zone, but it's on on Saturday, eight p.m. UK time, nine p.m. Uh, Spain time, which I think is about three four o'clock for you guys three o'clock um, is use that late kickoff yeah but if you if you do get the opportunity to watch this game it will be fascinating so uh yeah it'll be well worth a watch but yeah I'll, I'll give it a draw two draws in a row okay so real madrid versus <laughs> athletic atletico madrid the madrid derby here um i'm thinking a lot of goals especially with rudiger kind of dropping out here i'm still uh, I'm going to go, I hate that I'm doing this. I'm copying you. I'm going to go two, two draw here. <laughs> well, you're not copying me uh, on this game. Uh, Cause I, I'll, I'll deviate from the, uh, from the draws on this one. Um, I think Real Madrid will win and I think they will win by three goals. I'm not sure if they'll win wow. or, or four one. Um, yeah, I, I, I <laughs> and, and we've spoken before. I'm not really a Real Madrid guy. <laughs> so much but I, I i feel like when you've got to pick your spots with this stuff and and if you feel a certain way about it with the way the two teams match up just got to go with it and uh yeah it, it, it's unlikely that that'll happen but i just i get this feeling that this game really it gets more and more personal the more these two teams match up and i think the real madrid match up really nicely to this athletic team and they'll think you know let's have these tonight they'll set up in the way that they usually do it won't be overly impressive but I think they'll. I think there's a good chance to get an early goal, and then they'll take uh, the game by the scruff of the neck from there. So yeah, put me down for. I'll go with three nil. Three nil sounds less out there than four one. So so give me that. I'm gonna go with. Uh, that will probably be a game I take Real Madrid money line then. So thank you for that little bit of advice there from <laughs> don't you. Hold, and, uh, don't hold me to it though. <laughs> I I will be Venmo requesting you if it. Be, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, I will also be taking the over in that no betting segment today. So I will be. I will have some money on this game. Go to Germany. Bayern play Gladbach. Gladbach was able to kind of stifle Leverkusen last week. Will they be able to do the same with Bayern? Uh, no, I got a Bayern win on this one. I, I think Bayern will win uh, again, probably 
by three or four goals. I think what's happened is Bayern dangled the carrot a little bit in terms of the result that they had at home. Was it against Werder Bremen? They yeah. Lost? Yeah, and they they get they had that little gap given up that was you know started to have people dreaming. I know you spoke to, about it on the podcast. I think that's given them the nudge, even though I'm not overly impressed by them tactics wise. I think they've just got so many good players um, that now they're going to think, okay, now we have our run. Now we have our run of winning this many games in a row and just putting the pressure on Leverkusen, who they play in the next game. I think I'm correct in saying um, so. They'll want to get right for that game, and I can see them putting in a very intimidating performance in this one and yeah put me down for uh I, they've been a bit defensively frail so i'll give Mönchengladbach a goal uh and, and predict 4-1 in this game wow another another over game here um i sure hope that doesn't happen because i'm all in on shabby ball but you're probably right on this one now you do have some skin in this game inter milan versus juventus <laughs> are you going to back your team here Oh, <laughs> I'm a bit worried about this game. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I do not see Juve. I don't see Juve winning this game in any way. Unless, <laughs> there's that, unless there's that little bit of kind of Juve magic where anything can happen in these big games. I look at this game. I look at the way the two teams have played. And unless we're talking about a Vlavic unreal display in a 1-0 win where he scores the goal and he's doing everything to try and change the field tilt and everything like that i just i don't see a win at all they can maybe fluke a draw i think inter will probably win this game maybe 3-1 i think they'll pull them apart in early build up and it's it's gonna be juve are italy's team and whenever they're in crisis the media is on them and and i wouldn't be surprised if on monday there is a massive referendum on on juve as a whole in terms of their direction i think it could be that bad of a game i'm really not confident at all so uh, I can't even back them in a prediction. So yeah, that's three three one Inter. It's telling stuff. I'm gonna also back Inter here. I, I think some. I mean, I, I agree with most of what you said. I don't. I think it'll be closer than you're giving your side credit for. I, I think it'll be like a one two nil win. Um, I think Inter will completely play Juventus off the pitch, but just do how they set up. I'm gonna I'm gonna back. I'm going to back into it nonetheless. Atalanta. I'll say this as well on this game, just quickly. This isn't really tactical stuff. This isn't how football works, but it also kind of is. We won at San Siro last year against Inter in a very cagey game. We would need that to happen again. And it's a very unlikely we'd be able to do that in back-to-back seasons. So even just adding that in makes me feel not confident. So yeah, that's just a little piece based off of, uh, of last season. He's thought this one through, folks. Uh, Atalanta <laughs> versus Lazio. I think this will be a fun one. I'm going to back Atalanta here. I think that the Catalara has just been fantastic. Um, it's hard not to back Atalanta here. I think it'll be a 2-1 win. Yep, um, I'm going to agree with you on that one. Uh, Atlanta, Atalanta are probably the second just plainly fun team, second most fun team in, in Serie A. So I'm happy to back them wherever wherever I can. Uh, and against Lazio, don't mind doing that. So yeah, they'll, they'll win this game. I'll give them... Yeah, I'd probably, probably say 2-0. Uh, decent stiff arm on the opposition. And uh, yeah, it, again, another game that... And generally, when it comes to Atalanta, if you can watch them, if you get the opportunity, if their fixtures fall right, I would encourage it because there's just a lot of fun players playing in a fun style, which we touched on the last time I was on. So yeah, I think they'll win this game. And then we have some, we have two games, some interesting games in the Netherlands. <clears throat> excuse me. 
IX versus PSV, a little Darby here. Um, IX have climbed their way up the table. They could use the points. PSV, you know, after their perfect start, have faltered a little bit, but this could be a, a fantastic get right game. I'm gonna I'm gonna back PSV here. Yeah, it's it. I feel like a fraud would... though. <laughs> no, I, come on. I mean, it, the form is unreal. It, it would be. It would seem silly to pick against them. Um, again, maybe the 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 fact that it's a that it's a, a derby game and that brings a little a little bit of um a little bit of variance there. But it, it just it feels like a season where it would be wrong if Ajax were to win this game. It feels like this will go down where the you know the Ajax fans will convince themselves that maybe something can happen, anything can happen on Derby Day, and then they find themselves going two 0 down in the seventieth minute and just kind of rolls out as a dance squib. So yeah, take, uh, give me uh, give me uh, PSV and give me them uh, probably two or three 0 I'll I'll keep it at two 0 I'll keep it a little bit conservative. I will say PSV completely outplayed Ajax earlier this season, so I think Ajax at least have a chip on their shoulder here. Um, hopefully we don't see any fan trouble like we did last time. But to move on to the last game, Easy Akmar versus Feyenoord. Both teams have kind of sucked as of late. Don't really know how to handicap this one. I'm just going to back the better team, which is Feyenoord here. But I think this could easily be a draw. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it, it's certainly on the table. It'll be an interesting game. Um, again, if people have the opportunity to see this one, I would uh, encourage it because I really... I like Feyenoord and I really I really like the manager. Um I think Arna Slut is someone who is going to be seen in different in a different league very soon. Could well be the Premier League. Um I don't think he'll he'll stay around there much longer. It feels like they've hit their ceiling. Um so just to get a little bit of a read on him this game could maybe be an interesting one. Um on uh, on on Slot there. So I'll give them the win on this one. I'll I'll give them a win and and say I'll, I'll bump up the scores and say probably about 3-1. Um, but yeah, again, a game that would be interesting to watch if you do get the opportunity because they play some really interesting football. That's uh, the type of football that is winning in Europe at the moment as well. So yeah, well worth a watch. Well, again, Ewan, thank you so much for coming on. Um, it was super last minute, guys. So you know, if you, if you're thankful to not hear my voice for 30 to 40 minutes straight of just all me, uh, then you deserve to. Give you and a nice DM at underscore UNR to thank him for coming on today and providing his wonderful insight. Um, again, follow the Twitter at Full Time Roundup. Interact with us. We'd love to, you know, chat about football or anything else. So if you think we missed anything, feel free to chime in. Um, give us a rating, five star specifically. <laughs> uh, download, follow, subscribe, and we will see you on Sunday night.